Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you can see I miss my wife. And um, thank you, Pastor and um, Pastor Bob and Pastor Shaw for the privilege of being here. They are perfect hosts. They have treated me with such kindness. And uh, I have a feeling that I'm going to write to the folk back home that if I don't get the treatment I got here, I'm going to come straight back again. <laughs> Thank you for having us. And um, I've fallen in love with your pastor and his wife. We've had some really deep discussions. And we are kindred spirits. His heart and my heart are united on so many issues, and what a joy just to spend time with you. It is enriching to me, and I'm glad to see Jakes and Amy, and I believe that they have plans for Amy to go and study further, but don't forget Africa. And uh, we look forward to a long, happy association with you as well. My wife, is busy with a project. She's been working on it. She couldn't come with me. And so she's been working on this thing and it has just been growing. And uh, they wanted a women's conference on Women's Day, which is this coming Wednesday. And it's politicized. If it was in South Africa, the black women that were dissatisfied with the discrimination and they rose up on that particular day many, many years ago, about 60 years ago. And so th that day has been declared as Women's Day in South Africa. And so Rina and her team have organized a conference and they believe that they will attract a thousand women. In fact, the registrations are well over 900 already. And normally, People come in Africa at the last minute. And so they think that they're going to shoot beyond that. But what is interesting is that um, they, are, uh, they, they have targeted a group of 400 underprivileged, disadvantaged women. Uh, in, in the new era that we are in, in South Africa, there is affirmative action and so many people have lost their work, their homes, their cars, their furniture, and they live in appalling conditions. And so Rina and her team decided that they're going to help 400 ladies attend that conference. They're going to pay their fees, but they will arrive early and they will, there will be shower cubicles. Then there will be hairdressers, manicures and pedicures and... Then when all of that beauty treatment has been taken care of, they walk into a boutique. And uh, I wish I could have showed you the video that my wife sent me about that. It's clothes hanging for as far as the eye can see. And so when they walk into the conference center, they will look like any other lady. And they will be counseled and they will be followed up and it will be an ongoing process. And uh, Brother Dick mentioned uh, prosperity preacher Kenneth Copeland. 
I'm happy to say that I heard about what Rina was doing and they made a sizable donation towards the conference. And so praise God. Yeah. Seven busloads from disadvantaged areas will be bringing those women to the conference. And their donation has made that possible and a few other things as well. So that is happening this Wednesday. And if you pray, mention this in your prayers to the Lord as a celebration of what God is going to do. Um, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Where did your life begin? Where, where did your business begin? Um, the Lord spoke to me one day. We were so excited about planting Bible college. I'm glad to see Brother Zeldin Dwyer and his wife, and, and they are generals. I salute you. Appreciate the work that you've done all these years. Um, I, I thought that I was productive. And uh, every year, in fact, we were stronger in ministry, growing. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, he wanted me to invest in living stones. And uh, it took a while for uh, that thought to penetrate my mind as to what God was actually saying. But what he was saying is that we should have a soul-winning program. And then I committed myself to trusting him for 20,000 souls within three years. I thought that this could be a brief excursion. We could keep on uh, with our project. We are focused in what we are doing. But then we will go off on a little tangent, bring in those 20,000 souls, and then carry on again. And so I committed myself to trusting God for 20,000 souls in three years' time. And then I created a problem for myself because I did not know how I was going to do that. I prayed. I sought God's mind. And um, if you aim at nothing in life, you are sure to hit it. And we should have goals in our lives. We should know where we are headed. And the, I, I, I was trusting God, Lord, we've got to do this thing. And then I spoke to a Burundi pastor and he said to me, empower local churches to grow themselves. And the light came on. And so we um, started the training and we started mobilizing these pastors. And instead of Reaching 20,000, we overshot a little, and the Lord gave us 26,000 first-time decisions for Christ. Mission accomplished. I wanted to sit back and refocus on what we were doing with Bible college training and church planting. And pastors came out from all over the place and asked us, we couldn't stop now. And in fact, we didn't stop and today we have trained 4,800 pastors and we have several goals in uh, East Africa. And um, 
Uh, I don't want to mention figures and that because there's something else that I, I would like to share with you. But, but it's, it's also a very ambitious program and we have feet on the ground. I've, I've never been in such a favorable position in all of my life. We've got feet on the ground and they are moving with the gospel. But I had a dream when I was a young pastor and I, I will share with you a few things that happened to me during my pastoring years. Uh, the Lord spoke to us through tongues, interpretation and prophecy about taking the gospel from Cape Town to Cairo. That, that is the length of Africa. And um, so we started in Cape Town. I had a, a, a church in Cape Town, and then God promoted me, and I became a missionary. And I started rolling out missions. And if you look at the equator, everything south of the equator in Africa I've operated in. I've got pastors trained, got churches planted, and so on. But um, we couldn't cross the equator because South African, white South Africans were despised because of our apartheid policies. And then when that changed, it gave me an opportunity of crossing the equator and started working in different countries. And we are only three countries away, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt. And then I can say mission accomplished. And I'm believing God that it would be by the end of next year that all of this would have been dealt with. But now we are in Ethiopia, and we worked in Ethiopia for the past five years. And we had an ambitious 10-year program, and uh, we came on the ground. We were working with local pastors, and, and we um, were bringing them in for training. And um, during this time, we trained 300 of them when COVID came. And uh, one, we worked with two organizations, and one of the organizations said to me that they wanted to first see if our training worked. And then they, they would decide whether they would participate. So I said, give me 40 of your pastors, and we trained them. And then the lockdown came. So we stood still for two years, and then one year we couldn't do any border crossing, so we lost that year as well. And last year in May, we were able to get back to Ethiopia, and the president of this particular organization, when he heard I was in Addis Ababa, he took the trouble to come and speak to me, and he said to me that we are in boots and all. He said that the 40 pastors that we trained were nicknamed. Uh, they became soul hunters. And more than that, during the lockdown period, they planted 157 churches. <laughs> and so having been involved for five years in this program, we also made this discovery just before the lockdown that there is a pocket of Muslims that are really open to listening to the gospel. And I did my research and realized that we have a window of opportunity. And then I set another goal. And this time it was less scary for me to set that goal the 20,000 overwhelmed me. 
but this time we have a goal of reaching within the next five years, and this is the 10-year program, and we've got five years left, and uh, the goal is that within the next five years, we're going to bring in a harvest of a half a million souls. And uh, those souls, yeah, we can celebrate. We can celebrate because in my heart, they are already saved. And the one thing I'm worried about is many of them will pay the supreme sacrifice, the supreme price for their life for becoming Christians. And that thought scared me. I uh, have a strategy. We are busy rolling out the strategy, and I'd like to see you. I'd like you to see uh, the, the program. So we have a video clip, a short little video clip on this particular thing. And then the Lord favored me. And isn't it wonderful that you can enjoy God's favor? God takes a nothing and he makes a something. And your, your pastor mentioned this morning about touching God. The woman touched the hem of his garment. Isn't it wonderful that we can touch the hem of God's garment and, uh, and nobody becomes a somebody? And the favor of God. And... Um, we started a project, and it led us into making contact with leaders that, that lead millions of souls, have millions of followers in their denominations. God put me on a platform where I can relate to these people. And so they came into the picture, and in May, April this year, I was back in Ethiopia, and they indicated their interest that they wanted to become involved. So enjoy the um, little video clip. The first video clip you will see is a celebration. Last year when we were here, we had a dream. We had an opportunity of buying over or taking over a ministry from the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And we needed funding. And uh, you were extremely generous. And thank you, Pastor. Thank Pastor Bob, Pastor Shaw, and the family for having blessed us because we could say God provided every single cent we needed. And uh, we had two years to pay for it. The first year we couldn't because it was locked down. It, it was, we couldn't travel at all. So in 10 months, the Lord gave us, helped us to raise that fund the money, and uh, we paid it two months ahead of the deadline. So, praise God, it is done. And uh, the, uh, the video clip that you will see has been uh, translated into French, and this video is going to be taken into the French churches, and we are going to recruit pastors that we want to expose to missions. So that is the Mission Exposure and Training Project, the dream, and it's become a reality, and we have trained many, many already. And uh, by the way, I, I mentioned we trained 300 pastors uh, in Ethiopia, and then just after COVID in April this year, we trained another 100 pastors. So we've got 400 pastors trained. And we asked the, the, the presidents of two organizations that we have a relationship with to give us 10 uh, each of the pastors that have 
been trained, that have implemented the program, and that have seen growth so that they could believe in it. And so this is our next phase. We are raising the bar. We are training more people on a higher level in order to do the training. And then one of the pastors said, well, they've moved the bar now to 26. So, so the budget that you see now is for 20. And the 26 places me under new pressure. And, and I, I said to my wife, well, I, I thought I'll work best under pressure. And then I discovered I only work under pressure. <laughs> Thank you. Psalm 96 verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. The dream of missions began in the Old Testament. The church was created to fulfill that vision. Psalm 86 verse 9. All nations shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. The purpose of the local church is to be an expression of the church globally, to declare his glory among the nations. The Great Commission is to be his witness at home and abroad. Did you know that Africa is fast becoming the largest Christian continent? The baton has been passed on to Africa. Ginago, the time for Africa has come. Ron Kinnear, founding member of Africa Missions, sees this being fulfilled through the MET program. Headed up by Tabo van Veek, Missions Exposure and Training is dedicated to activating and exposing church leaders to missions as well as equipping and orientating those who are called to the mission field. MET has already trained over 1,000 leaders across Africa. Our vision is to see the local church actively involved in global missions, strategically encouraging Christian leaders to fulfill the missional mandate of the church missions. We offer a variety of courses, mission exposure and training, leadership development and missions, introduction to missions from a biblical worldview, evangelism in missions, and soon we will be offering a finishing course to career missionaries, those who have a formal theological or ministerial qualification. All our courses include hands-on field experience, giving exposure to leaders of the actual needs of the people and taking them on a journey into understanding the world of other religions. John 4 verse 35, I say to you, raise your eyes and look at the fields and see. They are white for the harvest. Come and visit us in South Africa and send your teams to us and become orientated for missions in Africa. MET and Africa Missions are on the cutting edge of missions. We're activating the church to fulfill its mandate to go into all the world and make disciples for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can be a part of that. We would love to hear from you. Contact us today. Feet on the ground, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Then 
teach these truths to other people who will be able to pass them on to others. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 This instruction from the Lord has propelled us on a personal quest to win 500,000 people for the Lord. In the Northeast African country of Ethiopia, we have been building upon the duplication principle over the past five years. We equip and empower believers to be effective in evangelism and discipleship and then they pass their training on to others continuing the duplication process. To date, 400 pastors and church leaders have already been empowered to grow their local churches. During the COVID lockdown, 157 churches were planted. An army of evangelists, nicknamed Soul Hunters, are on the ground, but many more need this training. It's time for the next level of training to begin. 20 selected leaders will receive advanced training to accelerate them in equipping the body of Christ. Trainers of trainers. Each of these 20 will present three clinics within six months. One clinic will consist of at least 15 church leaders who are trained on how to implement an evangelism explosion program in their local church. The three clinics form a cluster with a mission of each leader winning 10 souls, totaling 450 souls per cluster in six months. If each cluster brings in 450 souls into the kingdom, with 20 trainers in action, that will represent a harvest of 9,000 souls within six months. Added to this, we already have 400 pastors who are trained in Ethiopia, further seven denominations with a represented following of 13 million believers who have indicated their interest in our training. The need, how can you help support? $50 will support trainer of trainers. $150 can support one clinic. $300, two clinics, $450, three clinics, and $500, a whole cluster. We need to cover the traveling expenses of the trainer and provide lunch and water for the trainees over four days. That's $9,000 supporting 20 clusters over six months. Reaching 500,000 people for Jesus is totally achievable with this training plan in place. We have many feet on the ground already, but many more are needed. Join us in making this a reality. Support the feet on the ground and let's see Africa saved. Amen. Let's see Africa saved. And also, I, I would like to mention that monthly, you bless us in our ministry. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. And uh, it's a good investment in the kingdom of God. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever felt like, hmm, I've come to this place, but I do not belong here? Well, there was a pastor that experienced that very badly. He was one of the associate pastors in a church, and um, he overstepped the mark. He was unfaithful to his wife, and the church was busy with this discipline process to help him correct his ways. And in that time, he was not 
allowed to minister. He could just attend services. And then an African pastor, a man with great charisma, influence, and sometimes uh, influence can get people to do things that they shouldn't. And he took the podium that morning and he saw that this associate pastor was sitting in the audience in the congregation and he said, you don't belong there. The uh, calling of God is without repentance. You belong here. You need to sit with the other men on the platform. And he insisted that he came. He was reluctant. He didn't want to, but he said, you must come. So he came up. And as he came up, Half the congregation clapped hands, applauded, and it sounds like everybody did. So now he went and took his seat, sitting with the men of God who were dedicated to serving the Lord, and here he had a bit of egg on his face. He, he sat there and he felt uncomfortable. He sat there believing that he didn't belong. And then um, the service went on and everybody thought everything was fine. But after that, half the congregation did not come back again. And to think now, even that, one little mis, um, uh, uh, or indiscretion, a moment of indiscretion, has caused all of this. And I, I, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes to, to think that he sat there believing in his heart, I don't belong. I'm seated with people, but I, I shouldn't be here. Now, um, there is this passage in the Old Testament that, that is very well known of Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph was a dreamer, and uh, he shared his dreams with his parents and with his brothers, and that got himself into a lot of trouble. In fact, it resulted in him being sold in, into slavery, and his father was brought under the impression that he had died. And so he went to uh, Egypt, and for many years, he was in places certainly where he did not belong, but he certainly made his presence felt. And people appreciated where he was, where he found himself. And one day, um, he was promoted to becoming the viceroy of Egypt. He couldn't get on with his brothers, couldn't get on with his parents because they were not dreamers. But he could get on with Pharaoh because Pharaoh was a dreamer. And dreamer promoted, uh, or Pharaoh promoted him and he became the viceroy of Egypt, that means the second in charge. And uh, um, drought uh, uh, caused the crops to fail for many years. And especially in Israel, they, they didn't have the food in, in Palestine or whatever that area was then called, Canaan. And uh, the family found themselves in a situation where they were desperate. And they then sold some of their assets, and the father asked, Jacob asked his sons to go to Egypt to buy food. And when they came into this room where the food was being sold, Joseph recognized them. And uh, it's a beautiful story how that unfolded. 
And um, they, they came as people needing help, hoping that they would get favor, hoping that they would be able to buy food. And then uh, Joseph had a way of revealing himself to his brothers. And the day came when he revealed himself to his brothers. And um, when they realized who he was and who they were, they thought that the end of days had come because of what they had done to him. And I think that they felt extremely uncomfortable that this is a place that we shouldn't be. We really do not belong here. But he ultimately convinced them. And he said to them that, you know what God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God knew the day would come when you would need help. And I was in a position to do that. And when they took word back to the father, and, and then this is a type of Christ because his son was dead and now the son has come alive and there's provision. And so he was invited to Egypt. And then Pharaoh, and it shows you what influence is like. Um, Joseph had favor with Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, you know, your father and your family used to live in tents but now they're going to live in houses that I just recently built. And he upgraded them. He really uplifted them. And so we can actually think, <clears throat> excuse me, out of the pit into the palace. They were used to living in tents. Now they were living in these most beautiful homes. And, and you could now ask yourself, are, are they comfortable? You know, you, you're getting, as you grow up, you become comfortable with your environment. And now all of a sudden, they live in the king's residence. And uh, what a change from the pit to the palace. And uh, the, the question was, were they comfortable? Where did they come from and where did they go to? And it is amazing how circumstances change. And the point I would like to emphasize this morning is that when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, your circumstances changed. And are you comfortable with that or do you feel that you don't really belong? And if you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, epistles in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, no, I beg your pardon. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Um, if, if we read from verse 4, it, it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were, past tense, dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and listen to this, and raised up together 
and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just think of what we have just read. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not alive spiritually. In fact, we were without God and without hope in this world. We could have been religious, but something was necessary. And that is that our spirit had to be made alive. And then when we had an encounter with Jesus, something happened. And something happened together with Jesus. It was not a case that I became a Christian and now my life has changed. I, I, I would like to paint a picture that you could understand. Let, let's go back to verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, it means that we are no longer dead. Something happened to us. He made us alive together with Christ. So now what does it mean, he made us alive together with Christ? It means that there was a day when Jesus was dead. He was in a tomb. He was dead for three days and he came alive. He rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he conquered hell, and he conquered the grave. And now the Bible says, together, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. In other words, when Jesus rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. What happened to him happened to us. By grace you have been saved. And then he repeats it and raised us up together and made us sit together. So in other words, it's not only me. It involves you. It involves the believer sitting next to you together. Something happened to all of us made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Made us sit. Now, look at the construction of this sentence. And made us sit. If you make somebody do something, you can actually be forcing that person to do something against his will. <laughs> God took us when we were dead in our trespasses. He raised us up together with Christ and made us sit in heavenly places. So he took us and he forced us and he sat us down in heavenly places. Now, we could maybe feel that you, we don't really belong here. I mean, what is heaven like? 
And to think that many people are already in heaven and actually, spiritually, we are already seated in heavenly places. He has lifted us up and made us to sit down and I suppose some of us may wanted to object and say, oh, I really feel uncomfortable here in the Lord's quiet. You just sit there. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that we are seated in heavenly places and that means that we really do not belong on earth any longer. Uh, we, we should think of things that are above things that, that pertain to heaven. That is where we are seated. Somebody once said Christians are so heavenly minded that on earth they are of no use. Well, I would say amen to that. We should be heavenly minded. We should think of things that are above. Now just think with me for a minute. What does it mean to be seated in heavenly places? Every one of us, together with Christ, were made to sit there. I, I have three thoughts that I would like to share with you. The first is, the company that you keep defines who you are. And just imagine, all of a sudden, your friends changed. Your environment changed, and you find yourself now in heaven. And at many funerals, people say that um, we must comfort each other with this, that we will see those beloved ones again. And so we all have somebody special in heaven, and we all would like to see those places in heaven. And so heaven is a beautiful place, and then there are friends and family that, that are there, people that we love, they're in heaven, and we would like to see them. And so what would happen when you get to heaven? Who would you like to speak to? Who would you like to associate with? And would those that have passed on already be so happy when we arrive? Well, I personally think that they would not even give us another thought. <laughs> because in heaven, there is only one person that we all want to see, and his name yeah. Yeah. is Jesus. And so if we are seated in heavenly places, the focus that we should have and the company that we would be keeping is to be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. And so in heavenly places, Christ becomes all important. And I mean, one day we will become the bride of Christ. And so if we cannot associate with him while we are seated in heavenly places, how would we be able to welcome him as the groom one day when he appears? So there is a love relationship and we are seated in heavenly places and we should enjoy his presence. I had the privilege one day of visiting the catacombs in Rome and they took me down into the 
caves below Rome, and this is where the Christians sort of excavated areas and where they could meet in secret. But it wasn't really secret because Nero heard about that. And so he asked some of his um, investigators, some of his police or whoever they were, to go and find the leader of the pack. Now they, uh, he wanted to identify the leader because if you shoot the leader, then you've got the pack. And this is how we hunt in South Africa. Our, our hunting is a little bit different. And you've got to really sneak up on the animals. And then if you can shoot the, the, the leader of the pack, you have the possibility of hitting a second one. But if, if you miss the leader, you will miss everybody, or, or all the animals. And so um, they went into the catacombs, and they moved about, and they looked for the leader. And uh, they came back, and they reported, and they said to Nero that they looked all over for him, and they knew he was there. And the strangest thing is that they felt his presence everywhere. <laughs> they couldn't find him, but they knew he was there. And then they reported something else, and they said, and one thing about those people, they loved the leader. I said, I wonder if Nehru sent some of his uh, soldiers or his uh, detectives or his researchers or investigators to churches here in Wisconsin and in, in Africa, what would they report back to Nehru? How much of a focus is there on Jesus Christ? How much are we in fellowship with him? And is that the company that we are keeping? You see, Jesus is everywhere. We are seated in heavenly places, and the one person that should be our all in all is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second point is that if we are seated in heavenly places, it will affect our worship. And I must compliment you and commend you this morning. The worship was awesome. I felt him and his presence. Jesus said to the lady at the well, and she wanted to show how religious she was, and she could also put, uh, uh, take part in a religious discussion and when she heard Jesus was religious, she said, and, and you know, we Samaritans worship in the mountains and we are satisfied to do that. And you say that, the Jews say that you've got to go to Jerusalem to worship. And what do you say? <laughs> and then Jesus responded by saying, the, the day will come when people worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And then he added something. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And so um, if, if we are worshiping the Lord, the Lord is looking for those worshipers. 
And how deep is our worship? And the Lord is out looking for worshipers. Have you ever gone out looking for a house to buy? Or, or a motor car to, to buy? And uh, you come across something that you can afford, something that you like, but it is not quite what you were looking for. And so you compromise and say, well, I can't do anything better. I wouldn't have, I would have wanted something else, but I'll be satisfied with this. And so you buy a car and you drive it away and you enjoy it, but actually you wanted something else. Or the same with a house or for a shirt or whatever. Now, would God also compromise? Would God really say, you know, I'm, I, I, I didn't really find worshippers here, but this one looks okay. And, and so I'll compromise and, and I, I will be quite satisfied with this one. Now, the Lord seeketh such that worship in spirit and in truth. Now, when I got converted, I did not know that that was the church that was established and pastored by John G. Lake. And he was the man that brought the Pentecostal message to South Africa. And something about that church is their worship was wonderful. And us as young people, we really knew what prayer was, and our prayers brought revival into that church. And uh, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed being there, and it was such a privilege and an honor to get saved in that church. And my pastor knew so much about the history of John G. Lake, and he kept on reminding us and kept that name in front of us that it felt like I was a disciple of John G. Lake. And then I went into the ministry, and uh, it was like a, a revival atmosphere, very much like I ex experienced here this morning. There is a revival atmosphere here. You've got something that is stirring, and God is going to do something of great significance in this family. And uh, then I went and I, I, I first planted a church, and there was revival. There were times that we would start praising the Lord, and an hour and a half later, we would find ourselves... Uh, and uh, realized that the time had been spent and we, had op we, we opened in prayer and started singing the first song and God took over. And on occasions we had visitors that, that were not Pentecostal, in fact they were not saved, and by the time the hour and a half was spent, we would all hold hands together and rejoice and they would be speaking in tongues with us. <laughs> God was moving in a wonderful way. And then my second church, we, we really enjoyed the people. We had great fellowship with them, and God did some wonderful things for us. But, uh, and I'm talking about a South African context now, on a Wednesday evening we had what we called prayer meetings. And it, it was like a midweek service, but we focused largely on prayer. Always something we would share inspirationally, and then we would encourage people to pray. And we had wonderful times of prayer in those prayer meetings. Until I came to realize something. I, I got to prayer meeting riding the crest of the wave. I had a good day. And then when I got to 
the premier there, I would say, hallelujah, and everybody would respond with a hallelujah, praise the Lord, everybody would respond, and the fires will fall, and we would have a wonderful time in God's presence. But then there were times that I got there, and I had a headache, or I was tired, and then the hallelujahs were not strong from this side, and it was a bit of a quiet prayer meeting. And then it made me think, who is the life of this prayer meeting? Who is bringing the fire in this prayer meeting? People come because it's a revival situation, but something was wrong because I was the one that made the fire. And I said, Lord, I do not want to be the Holy Spirit. I do not want to get people to worship. They have to worship in spirit and in truth, and I can never achieve that. I can never do that. So I got to the prayer meeting, and I decided I was going to be quiet that evening. So I didn't say anything. I didn't say a hallelujah or a praise the Lord. And it was a quiet prayer meeting. And then I stood at the door and I asked the folk, how did you experience the prayer meeting? They said, no, no, no. left. The next Wednesday, we had fewer people at the prayer meeting. And I was determined not to participate by doing this work of the Holy Spirit. So I kept quiet. My goodness me, the numbers dwindled. At that time, on a Thursday evening, we started a Bible study, and you've got your old faithfuls, people that will just support you whatever you do. They still came to the prayer meetings. They still came to the Bible study. And I thank God for that. So we would come to this dead prayer meeting. And then there were so few of us that we decided we would just kneel in a ring and just see what happens. It was quiet, it was uncomfortable, and it wasn't me. That, that's not the way I do church. I, I want fire, I want things to stir, and Lord, nothing is happening. But I, I'm longing, Father. The Bible says that a river of living water will spring up from inside of us when he was speaking to that lady at the well talking about worship something will happen there will be something flowing in us and I was hungry for that I was longing for that and then as we were kneeling one of our sisters just softly started singing in tongues now, in those years, we, we never sang in tongues in the church. But she started singing in a tongue. and God's presence just moved into this place. I said, Lord, this is what I'm longing for. I'd, I'd like to see it emanate from the believers, from the worshipers. And when others tried to sing in tongues, we were unaccustomed to this thing. But now, you know, we've got to loosen up. And one of them put in a song, um, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and so he just put tongues to it. And now we, now we were singing Amazing Grace and tongues, and but whew, the presence of God. 
And then it started building up. <laughs> when the people realized what worship was, it deepened. It deepened. And the numbers started growing. And we started worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And one day, while we, one evening, while we were worshiping, a lady exclaimed and she said, I am healed. <laughs> in the presence of God, all of a sudden, I'm healed. She said, I, I had this problem and I was uncomfortable and so on, but it's gone, I'm healed, hallelujah. And then we knew we had touched the essence of what worship was about. If you worship, you can see God manifest himself. Our numbers grew. And as the numbers grew, they were sucked into how to really worship God. And then our numbers had built up beyond what we used to have. Revival broke out in those prayer meetings. And one evening, I, I, there, there was this fragrance. And I thought one of our elders had this de men's deodorant underarm. Whoa, it's just, it was expensive stuff. And yeah, and I, I opened my eyes to see who it was. And we had a few businessmen in the church, but there were nobody. They were all on their knees, all in God's presence. But there was this fragrance. It was amazing. And then something else happened. So I closed my eyes and we started singing and started worshiping. I heard angels sing with us. And the, the deep bass voices we couldn't reach to. And the high C notes, it was just absolutely so beautiful. And I realized I'm seated in heavenly places. I am where God wants us to be. Because this is church. This is when the master of the ceremony comes in. And he is he, he, um, he's, he's enthroned on the praises of his people. And then when it was all over and, and there, there was a different attitude with my, the believers, it was something that was happening inside of them. And I greeted them at the door. And Aunt Dolly came past and she said to me, Ooh, isn't that wonderful? I said, Aunt Dolly, what was wonderful? She said, Did you hear the angels sing? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, then shortly after that, I became missionary. But they asked me to stay on for six months until we found a replacement. And then revival broke out in that church. And we had no space for the altar call because the people sat right up to the platform. And people were, white people didn't do that in South Africa, but they stood outside looking in at the windows. I mean, it, it was wonderful to see what happens. If we are seated in heavenly places, just imagine what worship is like in heaven. And then if worship is like that in heaven, Satan and his angels were thrown out of heaven. And Satan was the worship leader. But the church is replacing what the devil left empty. And our praises are going to fill that spot. Hallelujah. And so as we are seated in heaven in places, glory to God. Hallelujah. The third point, and that is that 
who would you find in heaven? And who would you most probably not find in heaven? And if, if there is one influence that you will not find in heaven, I am sure it must be Satan himself. <clears throat> Satan is a defeated enemy. The Lord, when he went into Hades, when he was crucified, made an open show of him, stripped him of all his authority. And in um, Isaiah chapter 53, we read about the suffering Messiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But if you read a little bit further down that same chapter, it speaks of Jesus going into Hades, not only defeating the enemy and stripping him of all his authority, but he takes the loot, the booty, the, the bounty, and he brings it back. Every king that conquered another nation in the Old Testament brought back the bounty. And then Jesus did the same. The things that the devil stole from us, Jesus brought back with him out of the grave. Hallelujah. And he says, and he gives it to strong men. And so if you're a strong man, and that includes the woman, if you're a strong believer, and if Christ is in you, and, 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 and you've grown into the full stature of Christ. That which you took from the enemy is your portion. Strong people, hallelujah. And so the devil is a defeated enemy. And Doug Small, he's an American, and he has written amazing books on prayer. And he made a comment, and he said that the church gives too much prominence to the devil. And the, this prominence to the devil is, devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And um, the devil made me do it. And, and, and so the, 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 the thinking and this, the, the talking about the devil, and, and sometimes I, I listen to Christians speak and Christians pray, and they mention the devil more in their prayer than what they mention the name of Jesus. So something was wrong. And so instead of recognizing the works of the enemy in our prayers, we should recognize the works of our Savior in our prayers because he conquered the enemy. And uh, I, I heard of this lady. She was very zealous, and she would pray for her children before they went to school. And so she would anoint them with oil. And she would pray, Lord, protect them. Don't let the devil get hold of them. Don't let the devil tempt them. Um, don't let the devil harm them. And she will release them. And I thought to myself, my goodness me, the focus is on the devil. Because why couldn't she rather have prayed, Lord, make them an influence in that school today. Give them favor with the teachers. Let them reveal Jesus Christ. Let them have the attention of some of their friends that need the Lord. Lord, lead them. Guide them with the Holy Spirit to live a life of victory this day at school and release them. Amen. The, 
demon worship or, or not worship uh, possession. We have problems of that in Africa because of ancestral worship and all of that. And so people came and they, they would drive out the demons in the name of Jesus. And sometimes they said, devil, come out, and the devil will say, I won't. I mean, and, and it was a problem to get the de demons out. But then I saw something, that instead of putting the demons there, and somebody said, if you look for a demon, you will find one. <laughs> He's behind every bush. In fact, the devil is here in church today. Do you know that? It's right here. And do you know where he is? Under your feet. Yeah. <laughs> and so when, when you look at a person that is possessed, instead of, instead of driving out the demon and focusing on the demon, rather bring Jesus. And, you know, the devil may be everywhere, but Jesus is omnipresent. And if the devil is behind every bush, Jesus is also behind that bush. <laughs> and rather find Jesus instead of the enemy. And so, quote scripture, put Jesus there. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I. Um, if the Son of Man shall set you free, you will be free indeed. For this purpose, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the enemy. Hallelujah. And as you, you speak life, the words of Jesus over those people, you see them being delivered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, if we are seated in heavenly places, we have no entrance to the enemy but we certainly have the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. So, folk, we are seated in heavenly places. Can you imagine the brothers of Joseph when they walked into their new homes? They were unaccustomed to their homes. They, they wondered, do we belong here? And then when they became accustomed to the environment, when they realized that they were related to Joseph, I think that an attitude change happened. <laughs> and folk, if we are seated in heavenly places, don't you think that there should be an attitude change? Don't you think that we have become somebodies? We are seated at the, right, uh, the left hand of God because uh, Jesus is seated at the, the right hand of God of God and and so just imagine where we are just imagine who we are and that we belong there and we can look at ourselves and we can say wow but I really don't qualify I really do have a few things that need attention let me tell you something the strong hand of Jesus raised you lifted you up quickened you and made you sit in heavenly places. Hallelujah. 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 I would like to speak to the leaders of the church. And would you, my pastor, I realize that a missionary doesn't bring his watch to church. He brings his calendar to church. And another five minutes. Um, would the, the leaders please come and stand in front? All the leaders that have been appointed, the um, cell leaders and the worship leaders and the 
taking up of the offering leader. Looks like it's the whole congregation. <laughs> and uh, I, I would like you to to please turn around. Let's let's form a, a single line, and then I, I would like you to turn around and face the congregation. Pastor, you are a blessed man. And uh, the, these are the gift of to the body of Christ. And in each one of these people standing in front of you um, is a gift, either of an apostle, and, and, and there's no doubt who this man is. I, I just love Pastor Bob's vision, his passion, his burden, and, and he has an apostolic anointing. And many standing here have that anointing that needs to be developed. And then there is the prophetic anointing standing in front of you. And then there is also the evangelist the one that would like to reach out and bring the unsaved, the lost, back into the church. And then there is the pastor, the shepherd, the one that will cry with those that are hurting. And then the teacher that likes to open the word and to, to teach and to expound. And so those gifts are in each one of these people standing. There is one gift or two gifts and in the apostolic anointing, these gifts all work in that person, but these are the ones in front of you. And they have been commissioned to do the work of the ministry. But now what is the work of the ministry? Now, who of you standing in front or those seated have a calling? Let me see the hand. Okay, now, now that was a trick question, okay? <laughs> because I want you all to put your hand up. Just raise your hand. You have all been called. And according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we must work worthy in the calling with which we have been called. And then God has given us the fivefold ministry gifts to equip the body for the work of the ministry. So in other words, you are called, you need to be equipped for the work of the ministry, and the people standing in front of you are the ones to accomplish that, okay? So now, when we look at the, the leaders of the pack, what are their, uh, well, what is their job description? And what is the need? Don't, don't Train if there's no need for training. Don't teach if there is no need for teaching. Teach and train to meet the need. What are the needs in your lives? What is the, uh, and, and I'd, I'd like to read it um, uh, in verse 4. It says, uh, or, uh, okay, uh, to, to save a bit of time, let me just move to verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and till we all come in two. And there are three charges. And as I mention these charges, realize that this is the body of Christ that need to be equipped. And this is the charge given to the people standing in front of you. The first is, till we all come into the unity of the faith. And that I alluded to last night, that the only way that we can become one in faith is if Christ is real in us. And so the, the first commission is that Christ must be formed in you. And Paul prays, and, and, and he says, I prevail in prayer until Christ is formed in you. And the, the charge here is that you must travail in prayer. You must trust God that Christ may be formed in the people sitting in the pew. Then the second charge that God has given to those standing in front that is needed by those sitting in the pew, and that is uh, that we will grow in the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now this is a charge that, that they should work on the congregation to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And it is only when you have grown in the knowledge of Christ that you can grow into a perfect man. We could never mature. We could never become what we are supposed to be unless we understand who, what Jesus Christ stands for. And I'm charging you according to the scriptures that Paul wrote that you should minister to those people and reveal Christ to them so that they can become a perfect man. And then we would like to stay away from the word perfection because we always feel that uh, there's something lacking. But the scriptures say perfect. Third, and that we may come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the charge given to the leaders, that you should lead your people into the unity of faith, into the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that they may grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Now I ask for those in the pew, how many of you have that desire? Let me see the hands. Amen. There is the hunger. There is the need. And then I ask for the leader standing in front, how many of you would like to commit yourself to accomplish that? Amen. So I'm, I'm asking the congregation to please rise. I'm asking the leaders in front to join hands. And I'm going to lay my hands on the pastor and his wife, and I'm going to commit them to the Lord. But for those in the pew, would you just stretch your hand out towards them? Heavenly Father, we thank you for gifts to the body. 
We thank you for each one standing in front here, willing to serve, willing to lead, willing to sacrifice. They have such a burning desire to see your kingdom established, to see your church grow. And Lord, they have availed themselves. Thank you for each one that you have presented to us as gifts to the body of Christ. And Lord, as I lay my hand on the head pastor and his wife, I pray that this anointing will flow into the hearts and the lives of each leader holding each other's hands today. I pray, Father, touch their eyes. Bring revelation. Deepen them in the word and in worship and in dedication. Lord, may they be hungry for the fullness of God. May they grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. May they stand strong, Lord, irrespective of the winds and the challenges that will across their path. But Lord, may they stand firm. May they live in victory, and may they be examples to those who need to follow them. Lord, in the pew, there are people that are hungry. Make them more hungry for God. Make them more thirsty for the things of God. And granted, Lord, that you will bless them with the ministry of these precious people until the whole church is developed into the full stature of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is only what we have we can share with the world. And it will be wonderful if we are all having grown into the full stature of Jesus, that we will have something powerful to share with this world, I release them, I charge them in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all say, Amen. Thank you. That's a good word. That's a God word. 
Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this time, God. We thank you for that. Um, we're going to dismiss, but I, what I want to do, uh, we have an offering earlier, but I feel in the, my heart that we need to give an opportunity to sow into this ministry again. Uh, they're, they're true apostolic couples. They're changing the world for Christ. It's a blessing to have them here. If you want to partner with them, we do uh, su uh, support them monthly, and uh, you can give it any time into that. But I'm going to ask, if you want to give into this, I want to give you an opportunity. If it's a dollar, if it's $10,000, I want to see them meet these next goals that they have. Would you partner with us in that? So we're going to pray that you be dismissed, and then I would just like you to come up as you are led and just begin to, there's buckets up here, uh, and uh, we're just going to begin to give into this ministry. Amen? Father, we pray you bless the people. We pray you bless them with an amazing afternoon, Lord. And I pray, Father, that this word would anchor deep in the soul, and we would change this region for Jesus Christ. Lord, bless the people. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Amen.